This week, the show isn't about a celebrity or a big automotive name. We're talking to our customers, three car guys from the local scene with some cool cars and some great stories. It was a burnout monster. 16, 17-year-old kid at the car little brake stand. I went through a few pairs of tires. Stopping it's the worst part. In the eighth, I'm going over 100. There's been a couple times where I was like, oh boy, you know. It's still a huge adrenaline rush. It's really surprising. Like, you catch people off guard. Every year, Speedway Motors hosts Customer Appreciation Week to thank our customers for building, driving, and chasing their passion for cars. This year, we're giving away a spot on our catalog cover, and this episode will feature a few of our customers who have already been there. Mike Early, Jason Holland, and Nick Hazing are three lifelong car guys who do their own wrenching at home, drive their projects like they know how to fix them, and have cars that have been featured in our catalog. Mike's up first, and he has a cool 69 Chevelle with a supercharged LS. Then, we'll hear from Nick and Jason about their pair of Wicked Model A hot rods that they've driven all over the country. Today, we're telling your stories. Your Chevelle is on the cover of our new muscle car catalog, but the story of you and that Chevelle goes back to even before you had the car. How, how did that whole Chevelle thing start for you? Um, I, I kind of grew, grew up in a car family. Uh, my dad was into 57 Chevys, uh, and he had a 66 Chevelle. So, you know, there was always muscle cars and kind of hot rod cars around the house. Mm -hmm. And I I kind of was always into cars and knew I wanted to do something with cars, but didn't really know what, you know, it was always Chevelle's kind of, I guess. And so we were at a, uh, AmeriCruise type show. Well, I was probably, I don't know how old I was, seven, 10 years old, something like that. We were just standing on the side of the road in this, uh, 71 71 or 72. I don't even remember, but. It was yellow, black racing stripes, um, sitting on some drag lights and just gnarly cam, open exhaust, <laughs> shaking the ground. Just you could feel it in your chest. And I, uh, I reached over to uh, one of my dad's buddies, Rick, and like tugged on his shirt. And I was like, what is that thing? That is the coolest car I've ever seen. What is that? And he looked up kind of nonchalantly and was like, I don't know. It looks like a 70, 71 or 70, 72 Chevelle something like that. And I go, that's what I want. I want that. I don't know how I'm going to get it, but I want to have that. And that, that was the moment that sort of set it all in motion, right? Yeah, that was, that was it. I mean, at that point I was, I was hooked. I was, uh, you know, as I grew up helping my dad with cars a little bit and stuff like that. Um, you know, probably from the age of 14 or so up just looking at the thrifty nickel and the one ads trying to, uh, to find that Chevelle, the one, you know, you knew that you wanted a Chevelle. How many did you look at before you found the one that you ended up getting? I would bet I probably looked at about seven of them or so. And they were all just ugly green, green vinyl top, green interior. And they all were just roached full needing full restorations most of them had motor if they had a motor it didn't run and hadn't ran for years um so there's just a lot of undesirable cars for a 15 16 year old kid to have at that time looking through the one ads and scouring them and just finally coming across one that was in just west of beatrice and my dad just happened to be going 
down that way to pick up some products for um, work. And he agreed to go take a picture, you know, go look at it. And he had a disposable camera and uh, took some pictures of it. And when he got home that night, I rushed down to the Walmart and had them developed and just inside Walmart looking at the, uh, the pictures, I was like, Oh my God, this, this is not a green on green on green Chevelle. <laughs> this is, this thing looks awesome. And it was, it was a fairly decent car. It had been halfway restored in the eighties and then driven on gravel for, you know, God oh, knows how yeah. long. So, yeah. So you, how, what talk about making the, making the deal to get it. Um, yeah, after I looked at those pictures, I called him back and said, Hey, I, I'm pretty interested in this. I want to go get it. And, uh, was able to talk my mom into taking me down there, going down there with me to pick it up. Um, I think the following weekend and we went down there and took it for a test drive and jumped out on the highway and seen if it would do a brake stand. <laughs> and <it laughs> that was did. the first, first thing you did with it. Yeah, I don't. Every time I buy a car, I tend to do something I shouldn't do on a test drive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did, did a brake stand on the highway. We took it out and cruised it for a little bit and came back and made the deal and drove it home um, and drove it probably for, oh, almost, well, not quite a year, about nine months, eight, nine months um, before I got the crazy idea that I was going to. Uh, tear it down and restore it before I graduated in four months. So you were a pretty young kid with a muscle car, your dream muscle car, you know, surely there were some misadventures along the way. Oh no, I was a good kid and obeyed all the traffic laws and (laughs) didn't do anything inappropriate. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a burnout monster. I mean, you know, 16 17 year old kid at the car that do a brake stand i went through a few pairs of tires mm-hmm. and uh i got my first uh provisional operators permit violation <laughs> uh trying to race one of my buddies uh on north 70th street and uh, it was just a fun driver to beat on driving it and you know i drove it year round um just had had a lot of fun with it so what made you decide that you were going to restore it while you were still in high school? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know how much work it took. I think I, you know, you watch some of the TV shows and, you know, every Sunday morning watching the, uh, the hot rod shows and all that stuff and thinking that it, it looked like it was pretty easy for those guys to do. And so right. I, and I've always had the uh, mentality just to, jump in and do it and find out what happens so i decided that uh i was going to start tearing into it and so me and a buddy blew it all apart and then one of my dad's friend's sons just graduated auto body school at sec so he agreed to kind of come help me out and you know show me the ropes and get it going that way so Mm -hmm. he shows up one night and cut the passenger side quarter panel out and couple nights later he shows up and he starts cutting rough cutting the driver's side quarter out while mm-hmm. he's all the spot welds on the uh the passenger side and we get done for the night and i never heard from him again he didn't <laughs> my phone calls actually i haven't talked to him since that night actually and that was wow what in 2000 probably well, 2001 so um 
I had a pile of parts and I had to figure out what to do with it because it was completely worthless. Well, it wasn't completely worthless, but it compared to what it was, it's completely worthless. So I had to figure out what to do. So and I just, did, did you have a welder and, and the tools that you needed? Um, my dad had a little Miller cricket, uh, flux core welder. <laughs> um, and actually that's still the same welder that I use today. So it's by no means a good welder, but it was able to booger some metal together, mm-hmm. you know, ordering, ordering parts and stuff and, or just getting spot weld drill bits and things like that. Um, to answer the question, no, I didn't have any of the tools I needed really, but the basic stuff, welders and drills and, um, you know, hammers and things like that. You kind of, you feel like you're in over your head, right? Yeah. It's just one of those things where, uh, I don't know. I have a weird mentality where I don't, I'm not afraid to jump in and do stuff. So I had no choice but to figure it out, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little nerve wracking, you know, for the first couple of weeks and I kept trying to call him and call him and call him and he wouldn't answer. And it was like, well, kind of got a basic idea. He kind of showed me a basic idea of what to do. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll just keep, keep hammering on at it. And then it's, it's like with anything you just end up, if you look at the whole project from a whole, it seems overwhelming and daunting. You've just got to take it one piece at a time. So it's just drilling out one spot weld at a time in order to take the quarter panel off or, or to get the inner wheelhouse off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just kind of look at it. If you break a project down into sections, it's not as um, scary, I guess. There's the old saying, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And I think that that applies to car building. If you stand there in the garage and look at all the work you have to do, it's, it's overwhelming, but like you say, breaking it down into tiny pieces, it eventually tiny piece by tiny piece, you end up with a completed car. Yeah. And I've, I've stood in the garage just the other night and was looking at all the stuff I had to do on my list. And I was like, there ain't no way any of this is getting done. You know, it's just, it's overwhelming, but you just pick up a, pick up a wrench or whatever you're working on and just start doing something. And but next thing you know, you've completed something and checked it off the list. So did you get the restoration done before you graduated high school? Uh, no, I didn't <laughs> quite get it done. Um, I remember I probably painted it. It would have been February, March, my birthday is in, uh, March 24th. And on my birthday, me and a buddy of mine were putting the interior in it, um, after assembly and paint. So Mm -hmm. painted it, you know, first, first month or, you know, first of March, probably, um, on my, when I was 20, right before my 21st birthday. So, uh, missed the deadline by a couple of years. And is that when the 283 went in it? Yeah, the 283, um, I had, the 283 was actually in it when I painted it. I had all the the jam and firewall and frame and everything already done. So the motor was sitting in there. And that was a pretty special engine too. It wasn't just a regular old 383 that you had laying around the shop. Where did that come from? So the 283 came from my dad's 57 Chevy Candy um, and he bought that when I was probably two or three years old. And so that kind of ho- was always the, the cornerstone, the, you know, the, the car 
that I looked up to. And mm-hmm. That had a pretty rowdy 283 in it. It was like 12 and a half to one compression. Oh, wow. In it. Um, and I don't remember many times when it had exhaust on it. So every time it got started, it was always, you know, it was that sound I, you know, heard and felt from that Chevelle kind of. So that's, that might be why I like that Chevelle and was drawn to it so much because I'd heard that sound so many other times from my past, just the open headers on a high compression motors. It's something you got to hear in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember him and Rick were working on that thing all the time. And I'd be out there hanging out with them, probably getting in the way and messing stuff up, but, um, work until I don't know what time, all hours of the night, probably. And my yeah. mom would stick her head out the door. He's got to go to bed. It's 10 o'clock. <laughs> and so I'd have to go inside and go to bed. Well, we lived in a split level and my room was directly above where the car was. So, Oh yeah finally start falling asleep and then bah, 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 you know fire it back up and then it let low for a little bit and then fire it back up and it so i was constantly getting woke up with it so and you ended up with it in your chevelle and you kind of further hopped it up right yeah it, it had sat the, the candy had kind of become a uh a shelf in the garage and it had sat for years. So it had needed to be the 283 had to be gone through and freshened up basically. And my dad's like, well, the only way I'm going to give it to you is if we put a different cam in it, we got to deball it a little bit. Oh yeah. So put a, I don't even know, RV cam in it or something. And I got it and it, it ran all right, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same motor. And so I drove that thing in there. Oh, I probably didn't put very many miles on it before the uh, the oil pump uh, pickup tube fell off. Oh, no. And it didn't spin anything, but it had ate the bearings up enough to take the crank out. So it needed a new crank. Um, so at that point, let's see, what did we do? We got the, the new crank all the and re-ringed it. And then got some Dart Iron Eagle uh, 49cc heads with 208-160 valves, which I was told wouldn't work in a 283. But since the 283 is already 60 over, we had the uh, the valve to cylinder wall clearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, put a 600 lift roller cam in it. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so the, I figured the compression was probably somewhere around 13, 13 and a half to 1. And so by this point, you're, you had convinced your dad that you could handle the real hot rod engine. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I guess at that point I was moved out and he didn't get a say what I could do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was uh, the way I looked at it. He'd given me the motor and it was time for me to make it my own since I had to put the money in to rebuild it. Cause I still do. I still have the motor and I still do love the motor. And, uh, it's it's probably the favorite my favorite motor I've ever had. So you you put this this really gnarly two eighty three in the car, and then I mean what what did you do with it? Was it kind of a weekend cruiser then? Yeah, it was basically a weekend cruiser. Um, I'd put a hundred dollars worth of race fuel on it, drive it a couple laps up and down O Street, yeah, and then be out of gas and <laughs> have to call it a night, damn near. So right. It got, it got really expensive to drive. 
um, and with the automatic behind it. And I don't know. It wasn't very much fun. The converter was always getting hot on me. Um, so uh, I don't know, probably in 2008, 2010, maybe, um, I converted it over to E85, did the carburetor swap to an E85 carb and put a T56 behind it manual. Oh yeah. And, uh, Converting it to E85 and doing the T56 swap was the best thing I ever did to the car because it made it affordable to drive. And the 283 should never be behind an automatic. It just does not make enough yeah. torque to work all that. So. so it had to have been a pretty high RPM screaming thing with setup like that, right? Yeah, it didn't, it didn't wake up till 35, 4,000 probably about 4,000 RPM. It started waking up and I never found a spot where it quit pulling <laughs> all the way up to 8,200 RPM and it was oh, still man. pulling. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet setup. Why did you, why did you decide to change over to an LS engine? Well, if it wasn't for the rod going through the side of the oil pan, I probably would still have it in there. So, <laughs> and, the the worst part is the rod let go just cruising it was 3000 rpm oh or yeah and i was actually on my way to the birthday cruise and just let go just started making all the noise and i the night before the birthday cruise i didn't have any first year i didn't have birthday cruise is a buddy of ours that has a cruise every year for his birthday mm-hmm. and uh all I had to do, I was going to weld, put new mufflers on it and weld my cutouts in and get those wired up. I didn't have anything else to do. So I was like, oh, I'll throw the cutouts on there. <laughs> and the thing wouldn't start. I lost ignition for some reason. I still don't know if it was a digital seven or something in the distributor that went bad. So we went to Zach's and picked up uh, just one of his used off the shelf HEIs he's had laying around forever. Threw it in there and the thing fired right up. Mm-hmm. And on the way to get. E85 and gas, gas it up. And the thing had not ran that good in probably two years. <laughs> it, it pulled clean, no misses, nothing. You know, you know, the saying is the cars always run the best right before they blow up. Yeah, I've heard that. And that is, in my case, that's 100% true. <laughs> because that thing had not ran that good ever. So it, they let go and we put it on the trailer and took it back home. The, the LS has always been kind of intriguing to me just because it seems like it's pretty good, cheap, easy horsepower mm-hmm. and reliability. And I was kind of, I'm kind of getting to the point in life where I want to be able to drive it and not have to worry about it. And I can cruise it anywhere and do stuff like that. So I was going to start doing an LS and had an LS motor out of an O2 Trans Am. And just was on eBay looking for stuff randomly one day and saw that these Cadillac CTSV blowers, you know, the takeoffs. Uh-huh. I've always wanted a supercharged car. This is perfect. <laughs> so I bought it, not knowing anything about it or doing any research on whether it bolt up. I was just like, yeah, LS, you know, it'll work, right? Right. Well, the heads are um, cathedral port on the LS and rectangle on the blower. So it's not a straight straight swap well did a bunch of research a bunch of people said no this won't work there was one guy 
that was making half inch thick aluminum adapters to convert it to um cathedral port to the, the rectangle uh-huh so i was just figured oh he wanted like 425 bucks for him as i kind of seems expensive for a chunk of aluminum but they were nice cnc machine pieces and by the time i was ready for it he was no longer on the internet and nobody could get a hold of him and hadn't heard from him nobody Fresh. else was making anything like that so i kind of had the idea okay we can make some adapter plates so i went down to the uh, local metal store here and bought some three quarter inch thick pieces of aluminum and figured out what the angle needed to be so they could rest nice on the intake and uh or on the lifter valley mm-hmm. and fit in there nicely and i bought a uh, non-ferrous metal blade for my table saw <laughs> and ran the chunks of aluminum through my table saw and got them cut out to the shape and started drilling them out with my drill press in a Harbor Freight milling vise. It, it did work. Uh, it took, I blew an intake gasket after about six months the first time around and then went with an O-ringed um, intake gasket on the lower half, basically like a 5.3 or LS1 thicker plastic intake gasket with the o-rings in it and i haven't had an issue with it since i I love that that's just old school hot rodding you know anymore i mean those adapters exist now we sell them but you know back then that was still sort of on the edge of what people were doing and so you know just like hot rodders have been doing for 100 years you just kind of figured out how to make it work well yeah once i got the blower adapter plates and all that stuff working um i was trying to figure out how to get the uh, the blower pulley and all the pulley set up to work and all that to line up and you know it was mix and matching uh water pumps and pulleys and brackets and all that stuff and ended up using uh getting a cadillac ctsv um harmonic balancer lower mm-hmm. pulley and pinning that using a ctsv water pump and machining three quarters of an inch off i believe off of the factory f body alternator bracket in order to get that to slide back far enough to line up with the uh, CTSB pulley okay, or balancer pulley. Well, what, what was supposed to be a really easy supercharger swap and all that stuff ended up taking hours and hours and hours of fabricating and trying to line stuff up and get things to be where they're supposed to be. Do you have any idea what kind of power it makes? I've never had it on a dyno. Um, I kind of did some loose math with what the uh, LSA makes, you know, per cubic inch versus the 5.7 liter. And then with the, I ported the uh, supercharger snout um, and ported through the side of that on accident and had to have Jeff weld up the side of the snout and (laughs) do all that uh, for me. Uh, And then with the, btr stage three cam so i figured if i can make 525 550 i'd be really happy so you have had kind of the unique experience of driving the same car with pretty much the same setup with a a very old school hot rodded 283 and a very new school supercharged ls how do the two compare to each other no the, the 283 was 
they don't make any torque. It's got a short stroke, so they just don't have the torque. And so you had to wait for the uh, the power to come on. But once it did, it, it felt good and it'd pin you back in the seat. Whereas the LS with that blower, it's 100% instantaneous power. You get all yeah. of it right away. With that big giant cam and all that compression and that 283, it must have been pretty unruly to drive around on the street, right? It was a little bit of a, a pain with the uh, the automatic, but I mean, it really wasn't too terrible to drive. I didn't. I I thought it drove actually pretty well. Um, once it once it was a stick, you know, you could blurp it a little bit here and there if you needed to. But the LS, I'm sure, is a lot smoother. Yeah, the LS is is a lot smoother. I don't have the LS 100% tuned yet either. Um, there's some down low that needs drivability that needs to be dialed in a little bit, but it is, it is a lot smoother and easier to drive than the 283 in that aspect. But so you still have now, how long have you had the car? Uh, I believe I got it in 99. So 22 years, my math is correct. Mm Mm-hmm there aren't a lot of people who hold on to cars for that long. Why have you kept this one? It was, it was love at first sight. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was literally the car that, you know, I, it wasn't exactly the car I dreamed about, but it was as close as a uh, 16, 17 year old kid's going to get at the time. But you're never going to sell it. Never going to sell the car. It's uh, I don't know. I love the car. It's, it's become part of me at this point. I've got hours and hours and hours and dollars in it and, you know, time working to get the dollars to put into it. It's just basically become a part of me, if that so makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. And having had that experience, what would you say to the 14-year-old kid who's shopping around looking for an old car to work on. Do you do you have any tips that you can say now 22 years on? If you're if you have the personality where you give up on stuff, cars are not for you probably because <laughs> you're going to run into problems. But there there really isn't any problems. There's just more work. Right. You, know, you blow your you blow your motor. Some people could look at it as a problem, or you could look at it as okay. Well, now I got to get to work to fix it. And it's just you got to stick with it, and you got to take it in small bites. If you tear it all apart, and it's apart for five years, you're gonna have a hard time finishing it. You got to stay focused and get things done as fast as possible or at least in a timely manner without, you know, hacking it together. In the time that you've had this car, you've kind of grown up and become a family man and you own a a business. And I mean, you've got a ton of other car projects going on. I mean, where, where do you find the time to do all of this? Um, usually between nine 30 and three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) it's I you have to sacrifice family time or work time or sleep and sleep seems to be the one that I sacrifice more than anything else my wife might give you a different answer (laughs) well there I mean there's something to be said for that there aren't a lot of people who are willing to make that trade 
so I guess you just have to love it. Is that what it comes down to? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really love, you know, I'm a tinker by nature. So I, I, if we have a weekend off where there's nothing to do day one, I can kind of sit around and not do anything, but by day two, I'm like fidgety and antsy and I'm like, <laughs> I gotta go find something to do. And I'll like start trying to fix the cabinet drawer that's not broken or something. I've got right. to do something, you know? So I'm always trying to look for something to do and I have to keep, keep working and cause I'm just a tinkerer and my mind is always going on to the next project or the next item there. So what comes next? What's the next project? Um, I've got to get my dad's 57 candy up and running. It's pretty close to running. It needs basically, it just needs a carb rebuilt on it. Uh, the needle and seat stuck. So that should mm-hmm. be pretty easy to get that done. And he has a couple cars still that are parked in the shed that are need to be fully restored or they're really solid starts, but they don't look like much. They're all blown apart. Mm-hmm. And he wants, it's a 66 Chevelle and he wants to get that done. So we'll probably start working on that for him so he can get that up and running and going. And then he's got another 57 Chevy back there that he doesn't know about this yet, but I'm going to steal it from him. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to do all new drivetrain bushings, brakes, and interior in it and leave it kind of patinaed. Mm-hmm. That white paint that's checked really bad and just make it a really nice driver that looks like a survivor car, kind of. And what about the Chevelle? In, in another 10 years, are you going to be ready to do something different or is that going to stay the way it is? Um, it seems like the 283 lasted about 10 years for me. So I'm hoping the LS will last 10 years before it blows up. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future will hold. I think right now it's, it's going to get some different tweaks here. I need to redo the rear end in it. Um, so I can get a little more traction, put some stickies on it. And then, um, dial in the the brakes a little bit and otherwise i think it's going to probably stay the way it is i'm pretty happy with the way it is right now and you have a wife and kids what what do they do they have a favorite car of yours they they probably have the whatever one they're riding in at the time (laughs) Um, i don't know the kids the truck technically is my wife's that was my loophole to (laughs) <laughs> build another car yeah um because her her grandpa had a 60 no what was it a 72 f100 or whatever and i was like when that truck came up for sale i was like eh, she's probably not going to know the difference because i didn't know the difference in the body styles mm-hmm. and so i just assumed she wouldn't either and i brought it home on the trailer first thing she said that is not my papa's truck <laughs> so it sat in the garage for a year and a half until we started tearing into it. And then I was like, honey, here's your Ford. It's that's your truck. So she drives that. She likes to drive it around to shows and things like that. So, um, but the kids, they all, the kids all probably at the end of the day, they like cruising in the Chevelle because it throws them back in the seat and tickles their stomach or whatever, you know, just the (laughs) acceleration kind of scares them and startles them. So are they going to inherit it someday? 
That's why I have to build three cars. I got three kids. Oh, man. Whoever gets the Chevelle definitely won the lottery on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw that prelude on YouTube. Where? What's that all about? Yeah, so I kind of just started this YouTube thing a little over a year ago. Um, well, because I we've always talked about doing podcasts, uh, in the garage and doing like a, a garage talk podcast because mm-hmm. we all get together and hang out in the garage and it kind of turns into, uh, you know, everybody's talking about what, what they're working on or work or whatever. So we've always joked that we should start, we should just drop a microphone into the garage and, uh, record it and put it up on the internet. Well, doing a podcast is apparently a lot more work than, Cause you always got to get people together right? because nobody wants to hear somebody talk to themselves for an hour. Right. And so I just could never get anybody together, or, you know, get anybody to really agree to want to do it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to try this YouTube thing out and just for one, it, you know, I can work on my cars and it gives me an excuse to get out in the garage and um, get stuff done. I've gotten more stuff done in my cars in the last year and a half than I have probably in, four years prior mm-hmm. just it forces me to get out there a handful of nights a week. And that like podcasting is probably not as easy as a lot of people think it is. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, I spend a lot, a lot of time editing. I mean, for every minute of content you put out on the internet, it probably takes a solid hours worth of, you know, working on the car um, editing, redoing shots that don't quite work out, you know, so it's a lot more energy than I even anticipated, um, it being in the beginning. And what is the, what is the payoff then for you? That was part of the reason why I kind of started it was cause I thought maybe in a year or so I might be able to get some ad revenue out of it and possibly be able to help support my habit of working on cars right. and uh, so far that has not worked out but i still do <laughs> and i still enjoy uh putting stuff out there and uh making content i like the editing process uh it's not always the funnest to come down here and edit when i'm tired but sometimes you have to just to get something out is there something to you know obviously you're passionate about cars obviously you care that that future generations care about cars is there do you see something uh something there where you're kind of helping people to you know kind of help continue the hobby yeah i think that showing people that it's not that difficult necessarily to do stuff it's kind of scary when you have to think about it but having resources at your hand like right now youtube is an amazing resource for any car guy mm-hmm. i mean i was on it just the other night looking up something to to see how to do something just to make sure I was doing it right because I couldn't remember because I hadn't done it for so many years. Um, I think that the more exposure people have to it and the, uh, the more they can put their eyes on different projects and get their mind flowing about different ways to do stuff, I think the better. And a technical sort of how-to video is quite a bit different than just like a shop talk, you know, this is, this is what's going on kind of content, which of the two have you found? Do you like making the most? Um, I, 
kind of started, I kind of wanted to do like somewhat of 50-50 with like quote unquote entertainment shop talk type stuff or um, tech tips. And I found that my videos that are going over how to do stuff and help people out with tech type stuff, those are the ones outperform my quote unquote me working on my project and giving updates, entertainment mm-hmm. type ones. So I think that a lot of people are using the YouTube for the uh, information and learning how to do stuff. And what's your channel called? Uh, Full Throttle Performance Speed Shop. In just a minute, we'll hear from Nick and Jason about what it takes to build a cool traditional hot rod at home, then drive the wheels off of it on the highway and the drag strip. But first, to see photos of Mike's Chevelle and Nick and Jason's Model A's, visit The Toolbox, our automotive blog. Find it at speedwaymotors.com and click the Toolbox link on the front page. We'll also post a few pictures to Facebook and Instagram. New episodes of What Moves You come out every two weeks on Tuesdays. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend to listen to What Moves You on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. What did your Model A look like when you got it? Like, what did you start with? Uh, it was just a, a original Ford Roadster body, and it was in Sioux City. A guy named Joe Russell told me about it. We were at the Fremont Swap Meet, and we were talking about kind of future projects, and he mentioned it. And so he uh, passed the guy's number to me, and we uh, kind of made a deal. And I, I mean, that was probably 2009, I think. Uh, it's been a while. And you know, borrowed some money and went up and got it and then started collecting parts. So it was just kind of body on a stock Model A frame, just on bare wheels, no tires, and enough to roll it around and stock, had the original engine, but not much else. And is that what you wanted, a 2829 Roadster? Yep. Like that's what you were looking for? Yep. And Jason, you didn't start with much, right? I mean, the first haul was a lot, but uh, it all came from the same guy up in... Uh, uh, Yankton, South Dakota, uh, buddy's dad had it and a tree had fallen on it. So he lost interest and he had a bunch of spare parts to go with it. So it was, it was, it was rough, but there was a lot of parts that came with it. So, and so how long did it take you, Nick, how long did it take you to build yours? Uh, well, I guess from, it's, I don't know, collecting parts, I wouldn't <laughs> count as building. So actual time, probably a couple of years, you know, it was here and there. Uh, There's a time where it sat for probably six months and I didn't even touch it. I mean, uh, I, I think it happens to a lot of people, Joe, you know how it goes and okay. life happens and, um, but it, probably a couple of years and, but it's weird too, you know, that was to get it just on the road. And then you have different periods of time where you work on it to improve it or make changes and, yeah. Well, you drove it around in bare metal for a while, right? Yeah, for a year. It. And then Jason and I and I, my dad, another friend or two, uh, did some body work. And then he shot primer. It was the next spring or next winter uh, for the next stage, I guess. Yeah. What would you say, I mean, other than just life happening, what would you say was the hardest thing that you encountered while you were building it? Well, I mean... So I'd never done something like that before, and it was really figuring out how to piece things together and how to do I how to do things. You know, I hadn't done much welding before that, so just fig- figuring some of that out and fabricating anything from the 
substructure of it to fit it on 32 frame to the floor and uh, some of the pieces for the doors uh, kind of to me there was some mental blocks you know yeah you know and that's something that like i like to ask these guys you know if we have on the the podcast we have like an accomplished builder you know ask them what it what are your tips for somebody who's just starting out and almost without fail they say just do it just pick up the thing and just do it because that's the only way you're going to learn how to do it and I kind of, you know, followed your build as you were building it. And that's what you did. You're like, I don't know how to, you know, build this thing, but I'm just going to build it. And it came out really great. It's not like there's the end result shows that you were learning as you go. You know, it, it came out to me. It came out really great. Maybe it's going to take two or three times because that's, I think, maybe what people don't see, too, is that, oh, it's, you know, social media or whatever. Here's a picture and it's done. But there's the, the two or three times that you threw away that they don't right. see. right. How about you, Jason? What was the hardest thing with your car? Money. Yeah. Uh, other, I mean, and really, it was pretty easy budget, uh, but still, I had other stuff going on and uh, switching jobs and, you know, wasting time on girls and stuff <laughs> like that. But because, uh, yeah, it was the money thing. Um figuring out a path to go, you know, if I wanted it on a model H chassis or how, how I want it to be built or foreseen to where it is now, I needed to start thinking back then of where, cause this is my vision of what I wanted now. But back when right. I was first driving it for the first few years, it was, it was, it was cool to me, but it wasn't my final result of what I wanted. What did it feel like? To the first time you like fired it up and drove it around the block, do you remember that feeling? Yeah, I remember it. My dad was over. Um, I didn't have the rear brake lines done, so I screwed a fitting into the master cylinder and pinched it off with vice grips. Um, I didn't even have the wheel bearings packed. I don't even know if there was rear end grease in it, and it fired right up, <laughs> broke in the engine. And I'm like, I'm going around the block. I don't care. <laughs> and that, yeah, and it was. We went around the block a couple times and. It, it was it was really cool, you know, and, uh, you know, just doing that stuff with my dad's cool. And uh, so, yeah, I, I remember it. It was it was it was pretty awesome. Nick, how about you? Well, so I'll add to Jason's. I remember riding. I was uh, thinking his dad went around the block and I hopped in and went for a spin with him and just how loud it was. It was it was so awesome. And that was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing May of like of 2012. And I was I wasn't that far with mine yet, and so it really gave me the big push to get. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wanted to drive it to Bonneville that year, and we went down to at the end of uh, July down to Salina, Kansas, for the KKOA show. It was super hot, but that was the first trip that we both took. I know he took his to Good Guys Des Moines that year, mm -hmm. and uh, so I remember. It's funny. I just looked it up today. The video of, uh, again, Jason and his dad were at my house, and. Uh, they helped get it running and went around the block and it was, you know, the best thing ever, you know, just definitely like all that time spent and then you finally get to drive it. And then you still, of course, have a lot to do to, to get it, uh, on, on the road and somewhat safe and reliable, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you can't wipe the smile off for a week. I mean, and you kind of finished yours up and then hit the road like right away, right? Like you went to that KKOA show very shortly after getting it running. Yeah, I think it was 
a week or two after we got it running, uh, we ran down there and, and then I had two weeks between that and when we left for like a week and a half before leaving for Bonneville and I had a, you know, a long list of things to fix to, to make that trip, but, but it did it. So in the first like two months that you, your car was done, you put on thousands of miles. It was like 5,000 miles. Cause we did, <laughs> yeah, Salina and then out to Bonneville and back and my uncle, Uncle John rode with me. He's like, I don't know, 6'4", 250, 275, you know, and I'm not that big of a guy. And so he's <laughs> he's next to me in the roadster with his head above the windshield. And we're, away we go to Bonneville, and he rode with me. But, uh, yeah, and then we got back, and the next weekend we ran down to the ham drags, or maybe it was two weeks later, I don't remember. I think it was the next weekend. And uh, I think we both raced our cars at the ham drags that year, just on street tires, you know, and things have kind of evolved since then. I mean, there are lots of guys who just tiptoe into things like, you know, I'm going to get this thing running and then maybe the first year, maybe I'll take it, you know, to the car show that's an hour away. But you guys were like, just hit the ground running. Yeah. Hey, why not? Makes it around the block. It should make it anywhere. I mean. Right. <laughs> well, and the thing is traveling, you know, running around uh, in, in a small groups, there's always, you know, you have help if something goes wrong or I... if. If I need to call AAA, if it's that bad, then it is what it is. So, Nick, why did you want a Roadster? Of of, of all of the and like, I guess when I met you, you had that Galaxy. So, like, how did you end up then with a Model A Roadster over any of the other things that you could end up with? So, I didn't. Growing up, I was more exposed to the '60s Fords, maybe mid late '50s, and so that's kind of what I knew and what I was comfortable with. Moving to Omaha, um, met a bunch of people like uh, Dave Scheiman. Uh, he and his dad, they're the ones that really made the hot rod thing seem attainable to me because they were doing this stuff all the time in their garage at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what got me interested and, in, you know, start reading, really reading online or in magazines or join on the ham where you, there are a lot of people would kind of post how to and build their own, uh, build their own cars and realize that, you know, I could do this too. Um, that's, then I, you know, you look at the different hot rods and what maybe what you can afford. Like, of course, a 32 was way out of the question for me. Yeah. But uh, and ran across. I think it helped that, yeah, that's what I wanted. But then there was one uh, up local within 100 miles to, to go pick up, too. Mm-hmm. And Jason, you kind of had this vision of like a mean 60s drag coupe in your head from the beginning, right? The 554 coupe. it had to be a coupe. You know, Jimmy White's coupe. I mean, all those DW down in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Just, it, yeah, the 60s drag coupes are awesome. It was the best drag racing ever. It was, it's it's just cool. And it's it's a bit much to maintain to drive on the street, but it's fun. You could have made things way easier on yourselves by running a more common engine. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, Nick, you're kind of, you know, a 347 Ford is relatively common but a small block chevy would have been easier and cheaper you know why did it have to be a ford visually i think they're an attractive engine small block fords Mm -hmm. aren't really attractive visually and i have an open hood car so yeah uh, and i mean we ran dirt track for years and it i know a small block chevy just as good as anything but they're boring they don't sound good to me and i'm just a ford guy so it's ford or nothing for me Except for the one I have going together now. 
uh, yeah, and I grew up around the Ford stuff too. And, you know, first thing I remember right in my, I was really young. My dad's 64 Mercury comment. It was a 289 and that just, I don't know, it just stuck with me. So small mm-hmm. block Ford it is. And, uh, it's worked out. I picked up the engine that's in there used and, and now it's abused and <laughs> it still, still does its thing. But, uh, and why, you know, again, make the choices that you made to, to end up where you are, why traditional style cars, you know, a car that you plan to drive and cover distance in anything would be more comfortable than the cars that you built. What, what is it about a traditional 50s, 60s style car that, that sucks you in and made you want to build one? It's never going to go out of style. It has that look that people use the the word timeless, I think Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit, quite often. And it's just, it's never going to go out of style. I don't need to worry about the latest wheels or graphics or whatever. Uh, and it's always going to, I, to me, it's always going to be pretty cool. So that's, it just, it really was attractive to me. And that's the, the direction I went. Jason, do you have anything to add to that? He pretty much hit it there. I mean, yeah, they're, they're just neat. They're, um, you know, I went to good guys this past weekend and, you know, been going for 20 plus years straight and you see the same car with, and it's had four different sets of wheels on it or, you know, two different paint jobs, and yeah, it looks good today, but what's it going to look like two years from now, and you have to redo it, and this and that, and just, I mean, I can't say much, my car doesn't have paint, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the timeless thing. We had mentioned you guys had kind of owned cool cars before, you know, Nick, when I met you, you had that Galaxy that was sort of your trademark for a long time. Um are you, are these like forever cars for you guys? Uh, mine is, I think whether I, whether I want to keep it or not, it's gonna, it's gonna stay, stay with me. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there will be some more other cars, but not, this one won't go away. I don't think anyone would want mine. <laughs> <laughs> they might want to ride in it and then never again, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Mine's pretty personal. Uh, I got some, I mean, feels good to get it finished uh, or to where it's at now. And it ain't going to go nowhere. My other cars could go down the road, but not that one. So, I mean, we've talked about you guys drive these things hard. You know, you drive them around town, you drive them on long trips, you drive them to the drag strip and then drive them home. I mean, you break them and then you fix them like that kind of takes some some discipline, right? Yeah. When we were running hard and it was every weekend back to back, we were doing something. Yeah, it. You know, we, we got home Sunday afternoon and we, we tear them apart. I mean, just so we can order parts on Monday and well, we're leaving Friday, so we got to get them done. So, uh, Nick has a clutch story from down in Joplin. Yeah. And you've got, you know, broken axle, broken axles and broken axle tube, even on one. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, it was, I don't know if you, at the time, maybe it wasn't very much fun, but it was just kind of that drive to make it to the next uh, event or the next race. And yeah, the, with the clutch blew out of the roadster down at the ham drags. And that was even just on street tires, not on slicks. And the next weekend I was planning to take it up to the black Hills. So had somebody tow it home overnight on Saturday. And then Sunday we tore it apart threw a clutch in it. I think maybe the next day and it was back together, you know, within 48 hours probably. And, ready to go for the next weekend so how did the hot rods of omaha get started 
I mean, first of all, I guess describe what it is, and then and then talk about how how it came to be. Well, I think it really just started as a a hashtag on social media. You know, kind of a it's a good way to group the cars of Omaha together that really you could consider a hot rod and it could, you know, it doesn't have to be a model a or a 32. It, there's a, you know, it could be a, some hot Mustang or something, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, it really did just start as a hashtag and now it's kind of, I don't know, it's not a club, but, uh, it's morphed into a kind of a inclusive environment, uh, that people identify and, and they just kind of know of it. Um, and you know, you don't have to be recruited or any of that BS, <laughs> you know? I mean, Omaha, Nebraska isn't maybe what people anywhere else would see as being like a hotbed of traditional hot rodding, but I mean, it kind of is right. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, I, I guess I wouldn't have even, I moved here maybe 20 years ago and I wouldn't have known that, but you start to meet people and, realize that there is more than you would think as far as hot rods go around Omaha. And I'm sure, you know, that's the thing too, where there's got to, there's other cities and towns in the U S where there's probably a lot more going on than what you even realize. I heard you, Nick say one time, a long, 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 long time ago that all it takes is one guy with a car and then everybody sort of sees it and wants to build their own, and then it sort of spreads. Is is that kind of what happened in the Omaha scene? Uh, I don't know, Jason. What do you think? I um... well, you mentioned Shyman and them. They all had them, and Gary Anderson. They always had cool cars. And I, in my situation, I never thought it was attainable because it was just my situation. And then things started going better, and I said, "I think I can do this." You know. We can go back to Nick's Galaxy, and I never thought I'd get a Galaxy. And then somebody hit me up. He's like, "Hey, I know this old lady that's got a the the husband died." True story. There's a '63 Galaxy in the garage. You interested? I'm like, "Well, why not?" You know, I'll I'll, I'll take a look mm-hmm. at it. Ended up being a Tri Power FE uh, car <laughs> and super solid. And I got that. And my dad and I built it. You know father-son thing and we drove that forever and so you know it the whole scene of someone else with the car and you know that does help a lot i mean it's you know and you know we'll go to cruise night tonight and i don't know what car i'll take my i'll probably take my coupe tonight and you know the kids they just run over to it i get out as fast as i can and walk away because that's the way <laughs> i am but uh the kids they love it and everyone just goes over there and looks at it in awe and you know, it feels good, but it's hopefully they, they take something from it and think they can do it and do it themselves, you know. That is a good point to kind of go back to uh, maybe impressionable is a good word for whether it's kids or even when we were younger and mm-hmm. you start meeting people. I started going to cruise nights here in probably 2000 when I moved to the area and it was at Flashbacks in 84th and Center. And that's where I did, you know, I met Gary Anderson and Jeff Patchen and there were a few others, you know, the, the Shimans and a few others that were were around. And you start realizing, you know, they have these cars and and the attainable part of it, which I didn't think at the time. It just takes a while to realize that, oh, it, it is. And then even like the, the Galaxy stuff, that's how, that's how I met Jason. And there's a bunch of friends that 
I, I could say 90% of my friends here in Omaha I've met because of cars. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's, I call them lifelong friends. And so, um, yeah, you could say one, one person or a few people and, uh, start talking to them and start asking questions. And all of a sudden you have your own old car that you're driving around. The, how long have they been on the road now? Uh, what, 2012? I think they were both hit the road that year. So almost 10 years. What's the, how many miles are on them? We both drive them a lot in town. I, I know my, I gotta be over 40,000. I mean, yeah. Quick counting my, my, uh, speedometer never. It's funny. You look at these cars. One thing that I, I know on mine that needs work is the the wiring. It really never got <laughs> finished. So mm-hmm. that means the speedometer has never worked in that car. Mm-hmm. But calculating, you know, adding up these trips and then running around town or, you know, over to Lincoln for, uh, Speedway Cars and Coffee or other mm-hmm. trip, you know, over to Des Moines or up, up to Sioux City or just, you know, down to Joplin, Missouri. Uh, well, we've been to Texas in those cars, I think three times. We ran out to, ran out to Baltimore, Maryland for the Writer's Journal revival. Mm-hmm. That was in, I think, 2013. That was, I don't know how many, it was 3,500 miles, I think. But so I'm guessing 55 to 60,000 on mine. And it shows it. I mean, there's things I've had to fix and replace. And, you know, it's how, it's how it works. Right. So is that trip to Baltimore, is that the longest trip you've taken? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for me. Yeah. Yeah. We were on our way to Bonneville one year and it got rained out. We turned around in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of six hour trips, a lot of a lot of six hour trips or how many miles that is, uh, 500 mile trips. Uh, but yeah, Baltimore was a long, long ways over there. I mean, how do you, I mean, it's not like getting in a, a Honda Civic and pointing the nose to the horizon. How do you prepare your cars for a long trip like that? Credit card. <laughs> Take your credit card with you. Trust yourself and your ability of your work and trust your machine and go. So I'd say one one of the big things I've learned from Jason and his dad is before one of those road trips, car goes up on jack stands, nut and bolt things, you know, your suspension, mm-hmm. check your brakes, master cylinder, brake fluid, stuff like that, change the oil, tires, bear, uh, wheel bearings, steering, uh, throw, you know, a little tool bag, maybe small spare parts. If you if you got room for a tire tube or two, since we always have different sized tires front and rear, uh, hit the road. <laughs> Do you ever mid thirty five hundred mile road trip wish that you had built something that was a little more civilized? Do you ever think, man, when I get home, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> you know I'm gonna buy a sixty three Galaxy with air conditioning and and air air coilovers or whatever. I don't mind it. I mean, the cars aren't that bad. I mean, the 100-degree days, mine's like a baked potato, but it's so fun to drive. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, no, because it's – there's. I mean, when there's chance of rain and you head out on the road anyway, that's that's a little different story, you know. Or I, we had to dodge some storms a couple times and just wait and this and that, but uh, – yeah, I, 
And you're, you're in a bare metal car that runs slicks on the street all the time, right? I mean, it's yeah. a little different for you yes, than sir. it might be for most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, when you say civilized, my car actually is, for street manners, it's very civilized. And um, just the no top is a definitely a thing. And I'll admit that getting a little bit older, I, it, the, the sun and the heat get to me more than it used to. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's time definitely to have a, a standby vehicle that has a roof and some more, mm-hmm. more comfort. Like I know Jason's got a couple other cars that provide that, uh, that level of comfort. <laughs> yes. But uh, no air conditioning yet, but <laughs> in all of those miles, you have surely had some sketchy moments. What can you remember the worst where you're like, Oh, sheesh, you know, like in touch with your mortality. Is that the tornado by Nebraska city? Oh, you can tell that story. I got one that was on your birthday <laughs> two or three years ago. Uh, so we ran down, it would have been right around the time you, you kind of, about six right years ago, you were done with your, it's when you started your own shop was right after that. Right. Real right? shortly after that. I left a unapproved day off. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Down to Topeka. And, uh, I think maybe I ran down the night before and we just wanted to meet up with drag week. We knew some people that were running their cars and had to go see it. Cause that's about as close as it gets here. And, uh, did that. And then, so on the way home the next day, we were near Nebraska city and there was a bad storm rolling through and we ended up again, you know, his car bare metal and my no top. And it was just downpouring where we couldn't see. We got under a, uh, an overpass on the interstate on I-29 and ran up, you know, up the hill under the bridge. And it, there was a tornado in the area. I don't, we weren't directly in the middle of it, but we were pretty close to it. That was it wasn't far. Scary. We saw all the damaged crops, and <laughs> it was right. Oh man! And stuff kind of blowing through underneath the bridge, and <laughs> that'd be my story. Jason's got another one. I think uh, we had a crazy pop-up. St- you know, my life pretty much revolves around cars, but Thursday nights is we can call it date night or whatever. But I kind of put the put the wrenches down and just do something other than cars. Most of the time. So uh, we went out for dinner and not a cloud in the sky. It's supposed to be a beautiful night. And then these storms just popped up out of nowhere. It was actually the day before we're leaving for Des Moines, probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. And these storms popped up and my neighbor called. The bars where we were eating is probably 15 miles away. My neighbor calls and she says, our neighborhood just got destroyed with softball sized hail. And I probably had five or six customer cars sitting outside and uh i was like i mean holy crap so i gotta go home well i'm not gonna drive in it so we're waiting then another storm pops up and we're on the interstate and i hit a a bridge joint and it lifted the back of the car i'm I'm on slicks at this point and it's downpouring rain and this lightened the, the back of the car and it started going around and i looped it twice on the interstate <laughs> And luckily, I didn't oh, hit the man. guardrail. It came close, but uh, I kept it running. And you know, you race, you know, race go karts or cars enough that you kind of have your wits about you, and you try to drive away from the guardrail when you have the chance as you're spinning. I think that's what kept it off <laughs> yeah. of there. That's what I tell myself, anyways. But uh, that was, yeah, that one. It scared. It scared my girl pretty bad, and uh, it, I mean, it frightened me. I mean, it was that, that could have been real bad. You know, it's 
these, yeah. these things aren't made to crash. Yeah. I mean, and you, I mean, speaking of sketchy moments, you know, you drag race your cars regularly. Um, you know, it's not just, I took it to the drag strip once and I got the, you know, the timing slip to show that I did it. What's the fastest, Nick, the fastest your car's been? Uh, it was down the ham drags. Oh, I don't know. Five or six years ago, five years ago, it, uh, ran 11, I think it was 1197 at 115 miles an hour. And, uh, I, that's the best I've run. I've never, that's mm-hmm. the only 11 second pass I've had. And I usually, I, I'm not as hard on it as, as I could be. It was like a 160, 60 foot time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, otherwise I kind of take it easy on it. I haven't broken much besides that clutch. And Jason, your car does what? Tens, right? Tens. I, I think my best is either 1089 or 1087 and 131 miles an hour. To those of us who have never done a, you know, fast drag strip pass in a, like early hot rod. Like what, what does that feel like? Like, what did it feel like the first time that you did it? Where you are like, Oh man, like this is, this is where it ends for me. Or did it, <laughs> did it all just feel good and feel like it was supposed to? Well, so our cars are very different. Uh, Jason will have, I think a much different take. Uh, my car is pretty easy to drive, but it's still a huge adrenaline rush. Uh, you know, it's fairly quick and there's no, no roof, got a little roll bar. Uh, his car, he'll have to explain his car. <laughs> Stopping it's the worst part. Uh, you know, yeah. When you get a car going 130 miles, and I mean, you, we watch Drag Week, we watch all that stuff, and you see these Mustangs running eights like it's nothing. Um, my car, it's a transverse leaf, rear spring, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it's got basically Hurst Earhart brakes up front, little spindle mount brakes, and it, it, it takes a lot to woe it down, and uh, luckily where we race quarter mile has a really good runoff. Joplin's got a fairly decent, uh, runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I-29 just south of here where we race eighth mile. That's pretty short. Uh, and I, you know, I'm going in the eighth, I'm going over a hundred and it's, it takes, it, there's been a couple times where I was like, Oh boy, you know, crank the wheel <laughs> to the left and hope it goes, you know, it's, it, Get uh, it downshifted if you downshifted. Can. Yeah. And it's, uh, but you know, downshifting can be dangerous too. You know, you start that wheel hop and then you don't know what's going to happen. And, yeah. uh, so engine braking works so good, good, but you got to ease off the throttle a little bit, you know, if you're going real fast. So, uh, getting mine slowed down. Um, I had one, one scare down in Joplin one year. I shifted in a second and pulled the front tires off the ground again and it shot me right towards the wall. Um, uh-huh. that, that was, that was pretty sketchy. Um, but other than that, just getting it slowed down. I mean, it, it, it's, it's fun to go fast. I mean, <laughs> you don't think about the consequences until, you know, you, you, cause I, I mean, being a race car, growing up around race car stuff, you gotta, you gotta put those, uh, those, those, those wrecks you see on TV and all those videos. Cause the fans love that stuff, but I can put it out of my mind. You know, I could watch those videos right up to when I put my helmet on and then it just goes mm-hmm. away and I got shift points and I just got to remember what I got to do. And, uh, you know, it's, that's the zone out and just but getting the thing stopped is, is scary. When you look back on the time, either building or since the cars have been done, can you pinpoint like a favorite memory? Like this is, this is the thing that I think of 
when I think of this car. I, that's a tough. <laughs> that's a tough one. We've had a lot of, lot of fun in those cars. You know, it's I can't pick out it. You know, that Baltimore road trip. It was just the two of us on on a lot of that trip. We met some guys in in uh, was it Ohio or Michigan? Oh, and uh, and ran with them out there. But on the way back, it was just our two cars, and that was a lot of fun. We were you know in Pennsylvania, rolling through the mountains at 100 miles an hour. Just it was pretty <laughs> awesome. Our way back from uh, the rained out Bonneville trip, the grasslands of Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how fast we were going, but we were going well over 110, 115 for, it was a long time. I mean, it was 15 minutes. <laughs> right. So we, I remember on my GPS, we were going 114 and it stayed right at that number for, like you say, about 15 minutes or straight. That was pretty wild. I, I remember that all the time. Um, getting a 10 second pass is really cool um, on a transverse leaf car. I mean, Working, I, I worked pretty hard to get the blower motor that's in it together and done. Um, mm-hmm. that that was a that's a lot of money, and you know, a lot of people would call me stupid, but I mean, I I'd, I'd take that motor across the country right now, and I have I've driven mm-hmm. it to Dallas or Austin, and I'd drive it anywhere. Yeah, you know, my you know, the only thing I got to take with me is front tires, so but I'd drive it anywhere. I think uh, it's tough to there's. I don't know. What do I really like is you walk out to the garage and, and there it is. And you, then there are all those memories that kind of come back or you just take it for a spin and, and remember you're like, Oh, this trip or that, that moment, or, you know, that pass at the drag strip or, you know, one other one that sticks out is we did a, a no prep drags at our local I 29 track. Again, I don't know. That's four or five years ago. I bet uh, maybe six, it was 2016, I think, but, uh, it was one of those where you're in the stick shift class, so you could get lined up. I was lined up next to a Honda Civic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some of those that we've both, one of them, I made it through five rounds, and I was maybe, I don't know, third or fourth by the time the night was done, which shouldn't happen. <laughs> and then I know there's been a different one, maybe Jason went a long ways. And it just, it's really surprising. Like you catch people off guard. They, see it's just an old you know model a and uh but they can actually you know like keep up and hold their own jason i feel like you have to tell the story of running it at the autocross at the good guys event in lincoln that you won you won the event right i i did win the event there was uh the first run i went out uh Hitting it hard, everything went good. So for about halfway, started getting a bunch of smoke from under the dash. It had broke the battery mount, and it was arcing on the the cow top, you know. And uh, yeah, because my 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 batteries behind my gauges or behind the dash where a Model A tank would be. And I remember the announcer, he's like, "Oh, I think he ran out of gas." He's pointing at the cow, <laughs> and then uh, no, he pushed it off, and I ratchet strapped it down, and went out again, and I can't. I think it was the hot rod class or whatever I won. And it was a second place was that really nice black. It's been around forever that I think it was a, is it a 38 Chevy that Del Del Besh built? Yeah. Black car. Yeah. yeah. He got second place. So, I mean, it was cool to beat that. Well, I mean, that's like a big, yeah, that's like a pro touring style car. I mean, 18 inch, 19 inch wheels and Corvette tires and an L. 
LS and yeah, and you beat him on bias flies with a straight axle front and back and a FE. Yep. <laughs> Tri power to boot. It doesn't like getting on and off the gas. It just likes going. <laughs> you know, we talked about these young guys who kind of see the cars at shows, and I I was certainly one of them where I'd see a car like yours, and it's not so over the top. It kind of seems like it's an attainable thing. And then you see this clapped out Model A body in the field, and you think, I can do that. But it's always harder than you think it's going to be. What advice, if you were going to give advice to that kid who's all lit up on building a hot rod and sees that clapped out body in the field, what advice would you give them before they got started? Knowing what I know now or going through what I went through, I, I mean, I didn't, my car, if you really get looking at it, it's, it, it's still kind of rough. It, I wish I would have started with a nicer body. Because you get a nicer product. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just um, that it's you start with something beat up. It takes a lot to get it back. A lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of a lot of time, a lot of extra tools that, you know, it's great mm-hmm. to have the tools because you're always going to have them. Um, but I was fortunate I already had them. So I don't know. I I them to try it. I mean, there's a lot of ambitious people that still want to save something, but. You know, from a clapped out Model A for fifteen hundred bucks to a super nice one for fifty five hundred bucks, I'd probably save up and buy the one for fifty five hundred bucks. But on a thirty two, <laughs> a car that's worth saving, you know, yeah, if you can get a thirty two for cheap or a thirty three, thirty four, it's worth putting the time and money into to get it right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So just to add to that, I'd say don't give up because I know uh, in my when I was working on my roadster and there were a few times where I, I bought through the towel and, and sent it down, you know, put it up for sale and send it down the road. But I finally just had to step away for a little bit and, uh, you know, rethink it and jump back, r- jump right back in feet first. And mm-hmm. so the big thing, don't give up because, uh, you know, put the time in and figure things out, ask questions from other people that have done it and uh, you'll make it happen. Thanks to Mike Early, Jason Holland, and Nick Hazing for being our guests today. And thanks to all of you for listening to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast. To see photos and watch video we referenced in today's episode, visit the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com. Email the podcast at podcast at speedwaymotors.com. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend where to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.